Welcome back, everyone. This is the Mind Body Mentor Podcast. My name is Stephen Jaggers, and I am your host. As you can tell by my voice, I've been a little bit under the weather lately, and man, it's so hard uh, for me specifically to just slow down and be okay with not doing anything. It was quite a test for me. Um, as I'm sure with lots of you guys who are you know, actively trying to grow and trying to expand. And sometimes, or all of the time, anytime we get sick, we get injured, anything happens to us in that sort of capacity, it's a, it's a forced rest. Um, we are forced into taking some time to contract, to go inward, probably because we've been expanding too much and, or too much, too soon, too fast. You know, that's, that's trauma. Trauma is too much, too fast. So learning to slow down and being okay with that. And I've had to do that this past week and it's been torture. Um, but that being said, I am excited to release this podcast to you guys. Uh, I did this a while back, a couple weeks back with my brother Vinny from the Pain Academy and he is such a such a gentle brother um, but so incredibly knowledgeable on all things human movement and all things pain physical pain in the body and we started to get into kind of where the bridge is between that physical pain and that emotional pain the somatic pain um, so I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. If you are still interested in becoming a level one somatic release breathwork practitioner, uh, we have two trainings the rest of this year. Uh, we have one coming up in Austin, Texas on uh, the 14th through the 17th of October. And then we got another one coming up in Phoenix uh, the uh, December 2nd through the 5th. And then also we got level two getting scheduled for all my practitioners that have already taken level one. Level two is going to be um, very soon this next year. And we have a lot of other stuff coming for you guys. Um, we have a trauma-informed training uh, for any practitioners that just want to deepen their education and deepen their knowledge. So stay tuned. And without further ado... Here is the uninterrupted podcast with Vinny from the Pain Academy. All right, so the day has come. I'm super excited to have Vinny from the Pain Academy on the Mind Body Mentor podcast. Really looking forward to this conversation and I've been inspired by your work for a long time, brother. Thank you. Thank you, man. Yeah. Looking forward to it too. Yeah. So what inspired you to create Pain Academy? Uh, pain. pain <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll start there. Um, I, I actually, in my early twenties, I broke my back mm. and that's what sent me down this path of how do you feel better? What is going on? How do you heal? What are the mechanisms that help somebody restore the way that they're feeling and moving? Um, I went from uh, an elite athlete, you know, I held dozens of Colorado state records, national titles with swimming. And I went from an elite athlete to 
barely being able to like brush my teeth and avoiding stairs and uh, fearing the sound of when I drop something on the ground, knowing I had to actually like bend forward to pick it up. So it was this huge change from really feeling invincible and being able to do whatever I wanted to having to literally plan out, okay, I need to shower and brush my teeth and brush my hair all at the same time because I don't want to get down on the ground and then have to get back up again. And that's what led ultimately towards everything that I do now. Mm. I, uh, I've had some pretty significant injuries, you know, I definitely have a, an athletic background as well too. And, and I think that, um, movement and physical exercise has been not only one of my passions, um, but when that's taken away from me, I start to go mentally insane. Um, so, uh, you know, not only being in physical pain, but the pain of not being able to move and not being able to have a body that can function and, and, and take care of just daily tasks. I think a lot of us take that for granted. And whenever we do start to feel pain, or maybe it's an injury, um, that really brings us back to gratitude for having a body that can just do day-to-day functions, let alone, you know, doing more athletic stuff. Yeah, man. And, and that, you know, so obviously there was like that mechanical break, right? There was a physical problem with my back, but um, there were so many days and not to like sound dramatic or anything, but it was like that stereotypical scene from a movie of somebody, you know, sitting on a windowsill with their head against the window and it's raining outside and you're just looking longingly outside at the world and not being able to go out there and experience it. And it was just such simple things like watching people take their trash out watching people Uh, walk their dogs or like teach their kids to ride bikes. All of these things were completely off the table. And it took a really long time to understand that uh, the emotional response, the mental response needed just as much healing as the actual spine did. Yeah. It's so interwoven so deeply. And that's, that's a huge part of my mission you know, I think that as we, uh, I'm, and people have probably heard this on my podcast before, but the mental health field is absolutely failing us. And we can probably all agree on that. And that's because it's not just about the mental health field. It's about the mind body health field and understanding how much of our physical posture and our ability to move plays on our emotions and our mindset and how we operate and how we actually move through the world on a mental, emotional level as well. And that's a big part of my mission. (laughs) And, uh, and, and that started with, you know, I, I could share a little bit about my background. I, uh, I actually had some pretty bad scoliosis, um, Mm. that was, you know, I'm not sure if it was functional or if it was, um, something that I was born with, but I, I wasn't aware of it until I was about 16 or 17. And I started having some back pain and I went to the doctor and, and I ended up, uh, they did an x-ray and they're like, yeah, you have like some, uh, thoracic, uh, kyphoscoliosis, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which just means my spine is bent forward and crooked. 
which probably sounds scary as hell as like a 16, 17 year old guy looking at x-rays. Like, what did you just say to me? Yeah. Like I'm an athlete. I was, you know, playing basketball and jujitsu and doing so much stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God. And they're like, yeah. So your spine is actually fusing a little bit as well. And, uh, I, it was like a shatter to my world a little bit. And it caused me to kind of go down this route of really understanding the body, not to mention that, you know, both my parents were significant, um, drug addicts when I was Mm. young. And I think that that had quite a bit of an effect on my, uh, development physically as well, not, and probably emotionally as well, um, on both aspects. And, you know, they were both addicted to stimulants, heavy stimulants, hard drugs, Um, and that is right smack dab in your, uh, in your solar plexus, you know, your adrenal glands, that's right here, baby, your, your, your fire center, if you will. And that's exactly where, you know, I had this fusing going on. So it caused me to really, um, you know, I, I studied, uh, I wanted to study addiction psychology and then, and then also physical therapy. I couldn't decide which route I wanted to go down. And so I ended up dropping out of school because I, I just couldn't read. I, I wasn't a book person. I needed experiential learning. So I ended up uh, becoming a body worker and found like this holistic school that taught uh, neuromuscular therapy and you know, yoga and all of life coaching and all of those things. And then I ended up you know, becoming a personal trainer as well and, and working with the body uh, physically and helping to physically align myself. And through a lot of that, uh, physical alignment, I corrected a lot of it, but I I just noticed that so many emotions were coming up, um, through that. And that really, uh, wanted me to delve into the somatic understanding of how the, how we store, uh, emotions on a physical level too. Um, but yeah, I I don't want to get too much into my story here, brother. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I, one of the reasons I was excited about this podcast and uh, I, I don't think I can articulate it clearly, but there was just a knowing of the way that you speak, the way that you talk, the post, like your language. We, we've gone through very similar journeys of understanding what we're made of and how do we actually influence a change. So man, I'd, I'd love to hear your story. Maybe we get into that a little later for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, something that I, I, I'm really curious about. So what is, and on your page, it says functional morphology. Is that how you say mm-hmm. that? What, yeah. how do you define that? Or I guess I've never heard that term before. So educate me. I feel a little ignorant there. Yeah. So functional morphology is this, it's, it's kind of this place between posture therapy and movement therapy. Functional morphology is, is looking at the shape of our bones, the position of our bones, and understanding that the shape of a bone tells a story of how it was designed to move. Mm-hmm. And looking at the shape of our bones and how they're all arranged, you can come to some very objective truths when it comes to our body. Something as simple as a hip bone is shaped like a ball and socket joint. So you're going to have a high wide range of motion here. The pelvis doesn't have a lot of articulable joints within it. So you're not going to have a lot of motion within the pelvis. Mm -hmm. It's looking at joint by joint, 
muscle by muscle and bone by bone to understand what are we designed to do and how are we designed to move? What are the laws of physics and movement and biomechanics that govern our body? There are so many modalities out there that help people, but each modality comes its own set of rules, right? The feet are, everything is about foot health and your feet dictate how the whole body moves or no, no, it's all about the hips and the pelvis or nope. It's all about the spinal position and, and how the, the nerves come out of the vertebrae. I mean, it's every method kind of has its own singular focus point as to what they believe the root cause comes from. Functional morphology is looking at the whole. It's looking at the global movement pattern and understanding mm. how all of these bones are coming together and what happens when we deviate from our functional morphology. For example, like a hip joint, like I said, is a ball and socket joint. It's designed to have a high capacity of motion. Well, what happens when a, when a joint that's designed to move does not move? What happens when there's restriction in that hip joint? How does our morphology shift how do our bones and the arrangement of bones shift to make up for that? So a hip that doesn't move, you're going to have to shift a different bone into a different spot to find and make up for that movement in some place, some shape or form. So functional morphology is really looking globally, not trying to isolate the root cause pinpoint saying your foot is the problem while you're having all these issues. It's a holistic global approach. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. We live in such a, uh, a specialized world right now. You know, we, yeah. we, we compartmentalize everything and, uh, that there is something to be said about, you know, having people that are specialized, uh, you know, they, they make a lot of money <laughs> well, that, you know, we have the, yep. we have a foot specialist and a knee specialist and a gastroenterologist and a mental health specialist and all of this. So it's like, and not realizing that all parts are affected and all parts are connected and our, uh, physiology, our biology is so geared towards homeostasis mm -hmm. on a holistic level. Like we are always striving for equilibrium. And just like you said, you know, that was a huge realization for me when I started working with people, uh, was that, you know, obviously, yeah, like the hip ball and socket, you know, it's has high, uh, it, it, it is able to have a huge range of motion. And then you look, and then you look at the next joint closest to it, which is the knee, which is mm -hmm. like, it's, it's more like the hip is, is designed for mobility. The knee is designed for stability. And then the, the ankles designed for mobility. And then if you go up the chain, it's like the hips designed for mobility, the low back, stability. And then it just, the body switches off so incredibly and like, what an absolutely incredible design. And I think yeah. that like, we, since we live in such a mental world, this rational mind world, where we try to just understand the specifics, we try to look at everything under a microscope. We have lost touch with the absolute intelligence that is coursing through our body and that is not only the design of it, but the fact that you are repairing yourself on a cellular level every day, you know, you have all of these autonomic functions going on, like digesting your food and secreting hormones and, and all of these things that are just an incredible design in our body. And we have really, uh, most of us 
take that for granted and probably are not even consciously aware of just the grand design of our body and to be able to look at it at, at, from a holistic paradigm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the, the, the depth of functional morphology really comes from the lineage of our design. I mean, it's, it's really studying the paleoanthropology of what are the origins of the human body mm-hmm. and what was the species before us? What was the species before that? And before that, and you get to start to see how all of our bones have shaped over the course of millions and millions of years to be able to produce the level of movement that we have. So functional morphology is really taking a look at where we at currently, where have we been movement wise to understand what does the human body really truly need to exist and operate within our own design. And, and that to me is, is the brilliance of what functional morphology is and the study in the field of it. You know, years ago when I got into this, I think we could probably label what I did under posture therapy. Yeah. But posture therapy, the, the more I dove into it, the less and less it made sense. You know, yeah, posture therapy is about our design and alignment and balance and symmetry, but I think it's most people's misconception about what posture is that makes the term posture therapy really not speak to what functional morphology really is. So I'll I'll give you an example. Um, When you hear of posture therapy, most people's experience of posture at a young age is their parents telling them to sit upright or stand tall, stop, stop walking and looking down at the ground, pull your shoulders back. The whole concept of posture therapy is forced facilitation that you have to be in a certain position to achieve X, Y, or Z, right? If you're sitting at a piano, stop slouching, pull your shoulders back. It is to override what our natural position is and trying to force the human body into a quote unquote idealistic position. And the term posture therapy, knowingly and unknowingly, plants so many seeds in people's minds that they have to attain this certain position all day long or something bad will happen. And what functional morphology is and how it differs from posture therapy is looking at why is this human being not in this quote unquote ideal posture? What are the mechanisms of how their body's moving? How have they taught their design to move? that makes them deviate so far away from what a functional supported body should move, feel, and look like. So it's really moving away from the concept of what we should be and looking at what is truly happening. How is our design deviated from natural function? And how can we, in a way, subconsciously get the body to start moving better, right? Because if you're moving improperly, if you've got poor posture, Sure, you can think about having better posture and pull yourself upright, right? If you're sitting at a desk, you can always manually manipulate your own body, Mm -hmm. but then your boss calls you, you get distracted by work and your body sinks right back down to its original position. So a lot of what people think posture is or posture therapy is, is kind of forcing the body against where it naturally wants to go, which might be slouched or tilted or deviated and putting it under these really rigid concepts, which actually hurt a lot of people. 
-hmm. There's a reason why their body is not just naturally sitting tall and the shoulders are pulled back and they've got a really healthy spine position sitting. So functional morphology takes a look at, okay, well, here's the design of the human body. This is what we were made to do. Literally the, the raw morphology of our body and looking at how somebody's deviated to that and giving them a very specific set of order and instruction, exercise after exercise to change the natural mechanics of the body. So they just naturally sit taller. Mm. There's no force facilitation. There's no yeah. conscious overriding. It's just your body, your morphology starting to work the way it was designed to again. Mm. Wow. Which could be the rest of our podcast. We could talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, we could, we could, we could talk about that the whole time. And that's, um, it's, it's, it's incredibly interesting because it's like, you know, posture. When I think about it, it's a forced stasis. It's mm -hmm. like a, a, it's like a, a forced state um, that's not movement through time and space, um, and it is, uh, you know, anything that's forced and static is not alive movement is life itself and how do we flow best um, in a symbiotic relationship to how nature's design is and i i could absolutely pick your brain on that so much um and I, I find it really interesting that you know we have things like repetitive stress injuries and mm -hmm. we have things like uh degeneration um and i know i've studied a little bit of anthropology i know that the first signs of like um repetitive stress injuries or uh, degeneration uh, showed up when we, um, you know, started having agriculture and we started becoming like civilizations and moving away from hunter gatherers. And, you know, when we started like growing crops and having to use tools and that sort of nature, um, I know that was kind of the, the first signs of those repetitive stress injuries and, and they call it repetitive stress injury for a reason. It's like doing the same thing over and mm -hmm. over and over again. And our body really craves variety. I think, uh, would you agree with that? Well, I, I absolutely. And there's, uh, and I'm, I'm totally going to butcher the source of this, but there were skeletons that were analyzed. We're talking 40, 50,000 year old skeletons really before a lot of these modern cultural inventions of agriculture, the industrial re revolution technology. And these skeletons that were 40 to 50 years old had no signs of arthritis. There weren't arthritic symptoms or signs of arthritis in the bones. There were no bone spurs. There was no degeneration of the hip capsule or the head of the femur. We're talking a healthy skeleton at 40 to 50 years old. Mm. In today's world, we're having kids develop stenosis spine and something like what you said at 16 or 17, you're being told your spine is almost naturally fusing together. We are, we are rapidly approaching degenerative status because we've taken, well, I think the easiest way to say it is we've engineered movement out of our lives and our bodies are having a really hard time with it. So there's this kind of paradox, which the easier life gets, the easier access we have to food, the more convenient technology makes our lives. Our bodies are struggling big time because we aren't made for this. We just aren't. And when you take a look at functional morpho morphology and the lineage of 
how our body has evolved over millions and millions and millions of years. We are talking about a body that is so well equipped to dealing with high variables of movement. I mean, ancient ancestors being tracked and logged, walking miles and miles and miles a day, not taking days off, literally to survive. They're moving all the time. And then you come to today's culture where I think the stat was the average American takes around two to 3,000 steps a day total. Man, we are, we are motion starved. And whatever little motion we do have, we're just using those same muscles and minimal joints. And it's leading to, it's funny, it's, it's like the less we move, the higher the repetitive stress injuries are occurring because we're not giving our body that healthy level of stimulus to get all of our joints and muscles and bones moving together. We're just decaying and degenerating at such a fast rate these days. Yeah. We're becoming incredibly fragile. And I think this is a, this is a, a, a good segue um, because I think as far as stress and, and trauma on a somatic level, we've become incredibly fragile as well too. And this, we can maybe start to go into breath work just a little bit. Uh, yeah. But you know, we, uh, like, if you look at stress itself, whether that's, you know, stress is, is taking a toll on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a mental level. Um, and it is absolutely the number one killer. Um, but it's also the number one thing that can allow us to grow like that stimulus, that stress, um, and those, those, traumas that we go through. And, and I think there's a lot of barnacles on that word trauma, uh, that we kind of need <laughs> barnacles to, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That we kind of maybe need to define that for the listening. Um, but so I, it's as humans, we have forgotten that we are animals. <laughs> we have become so mentally, uh, dominated by our culture <laughs> Uh, yeah. that we have, we have absolutely forgot that we are animals and we need, uh, to look at our body and treat our body and act like animals. Um, we are animals first and we are thinkers and we obviously have this huge cortex where we can, you know, have crazy, um, uh, capacity for uh, thought creation and in that whole area, but we have forgot that we are animals. We have forgotten that we are a mind body vessel and those mm -hmm. are inner and, and we are actually body first centered. Um, and what I have noticed is that, or what I've studied is that, you know, as human animals, um, are, if, if we are under a stressor, which most of us have, cultivated stress out of our life. We've cultivated, mm -hmm. um, we've, uh, weeded movement and having to like forge for anything or do any hard shit out of our life. Um, you know, whenever a stressor happens to us, we rely on, or our first response is an instinctual response. And those instincts have come from ancestral lineages. Also, uh, you know, evolution, like, um, and then also, you know, our experiences that we've had up until this world or up until this day. And so from there, we, we operate off instinct first. And then after our instincts, um, then we have emotion 
around around whatever that is. So I'll give you an example. If someone were to like break into your house right now, you would have a nervous system instinct to either fight that person or run from that, run from that person, or you would do something you wouldn't be thinking about it. It would be something that would happen within your nervous system and your body. So you would have those instincts first. And then after you have those instincts, you would create an emotion around that fear you know, or, or maybe it's, uh, courage or wh whatever that is. And then probably only, panic for me, panic, I'd be, I'd be a little <laughs> panicked in that environment. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. For panicked. Sure. I mean, you know, and that would, that wouldn't be something that your mind would be thinking about. You, you wouldn't be like, Oh, I'm, I'm panicked right now. It would be a state that is, is a felt sense throughout your nervous system and through your body. And then only, only after that, you begin to uh, create mental stories around that. And so we are human animals first. And we, we, um, we act on stimulus from an instinctual perspective. First, we have emotion around it second. And then only lastly, do we think and create stories around that. And it's, it's really important to kind of understand this because stressors or trauma, you could say, um, those are not necessarily the things that are happening to you. They're not, they're not the thing that's happening to you. They're what's happening inside of you based on the thing that's happening to you. And so what's happening inside of you is a response, a, a stress response, a trauma response from that. And, and that creates a certain nervous system state or defense systems that, 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 that are turned on and are activated from that. And what I think is really interesting. And just like you've said, we, you know, we, we have become very fragile. We have weeded movement out of our lives is that, uh, we have, our capacity to hold stress, to just move normally, um, is <laughs> little to none. And so we, we, we have, we're walking around with all of these defense systems on an emotional, on a physical level, and probably defense systems that are activated within our body as well too. Yeah. My, uh, I, I love what you just said and, and, you know, my first experience with everything you just said was, um, this was probably a couple years after I broke my back, probably about three or four years. Uh, I have probably at this point been a corrective exercise specialist for about two years now, uh, went through NASM. That was my origin. And I boiled, I boiled down my movement problem to, okay, my left hip doesn't really move well. My right pelvis is elevated and my right lower back is really tight, right? That was the simplicity of my problem. And I was doing some exercises to resolve those things. And around this time, my son was one years old and we started to run into some pretty scary neurological health issues with him. And it wasn't looking good. It was a really traumatic experience as a father watching the person you love the most mm. just be in pain and suffer and not even have the language to understand it, you know, exposing him to doctors and all these just insanely vicious tests to understand what's happening with his body. And it hurt and I felt it. And the more it hurt, the more I got to that point of fear, 
the more my left hip tightened up and the more my right pelvis elevated and the more my right back tensed up. Literally the same conditions of the physical trauma of breaking my back were repeating themselves because I was in the same fear panic situation being a father with my son. And it was the first time that I realized this stress is internalized. There's trauma here. It's the, it's the fear. It's the panic that literally created so many stress mechanisms in my body. It was like reliving the injury, the backbreaking injury all over again, time and time and time again. And, you know, at this point I was really on my exercises. I was doing my routines. I was doing the things I needed to take care of, but it wasn't strong enough to override the conditioned trauma response of mm. when I have anxiety and fear, my, God, my body goes right back to that place of protection and tension again. And that was the first experience I think I really had uh, understanding what, what everything that you just said, it was very, it was deeply, deeply internalized. Mm. Yeah, brother. And I, I could say for myself, you know, as uh, coming from a body worker background and working on people's bodies over and over again and trying to get them back into alignment, you know, I was operating from that kind of postural mindset of mm -hmm. um, equilibrium in a sense, but I'm working on them in a static position. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to wrap your head around, you know, that's kind of why I became a, a personal trainer as well, too, because I wanted to help people reprogram movement. But then I took it a layer deeper and I realized that, you know, I was aligning people's bodies over and over again, and they just kept coming back to me with the same thing over and over again. And I got so sick of doing that because like, I think anybody who's trying to help people and has a good intention is really trying to get people out of pain. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a lot mm -hmm. of doctors out there that use pain as their, um, uh, their job security, you know, <laughs> it, it, it can be a good business model. It you know, is, if you're not treating the problem, it's a good business model. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I started to realize like how much of the nervous system actually plays a part in this. And this is really where like breath work specifically started to really show up for me. And I really wanted to study it um, because the breathing obviously is our only body rhythm that we do both consciously and unconsciously. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're, we're aware of it when we want to. I can take a breath right now or we can not think about it. I'm still going to breathe while I'm sleeping. So it is, it is the bridge between the, uh, the conscious mind and body and the unconscious mind and body, if you will. And so it is the number one way to control your nervous system state, whether mm -hmm. you can send you, you know, you can elongate your exhale and it'll send yourself into a parasympathetic state. You can start to elongate your inhales and that will send you into an active state. And so I started to notice like how much of these postural deviations, these muscular holding patterns, these, um, psychosomatic holding patterns, um, had to do with, uh, the, the nervous system state and the nervous system defense systems that are activated, not from the, the stories, but from our instincts and from our emotions that are really actually stored in our body. And when I started to pay attention to that, I started to use, and 
And the breath was the number one, like diagnostic tool to see if I could take someone deeper into something, you know, it will like, I'm sure while people are moving with you as a client, if they're not able to breathe in that, in that movement pattern, they probably should back off just a little bit, um, until they're able to, uh, but you know, we can go a little bit deeper, but I'm curious, you know, we talked, we spoke a little bit that, um, like what, what led you into kind of, um, researching about breath work more and maybe start utilizing it in your own practice and with your own clients? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, so this is, I, I came to this realization. Remember, functional morphology is about design. It's about really yeah. strict rules that our body needs to abide by. So when I would meet with a client who, for a really simple example, couldn't rotate their hip, and yeah. because they couldn't rotate their hip, their entire body morphed to these really maladaptive, painful maladaptive positions. Well, okay. The hip rotation was the problem. So I would give them some very gentle, simple exercises that would rotate their hip on a black and white mechanical level that goes after their problem, right? Their hip couldn't move. I helped them move their hip. So in theory, on the surface that should have resolved everything. Mm -hmm. I gave these people the tools to rotate the hip. And then on the next session, Oh, Vinny, there's no change. I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. This isn't working. And it was always a, okay, well, show me what you're doing. They do the exercise and they were, they were wincing. Their face was, you know, grimacing. Yeah. They yeah. weren't breathing. Their shoulders were elevating towards their head. Mm. It was still the same exercise, but how they were doing it was not effective. And it was always literally for years, thousands of sessions. It was always breathe, take a break. And I want you to find the easiest, softest way to do this motion while breathing. I want you to first establish your breath, right? Tap into what that rhythm is. I don't want you to control it. Just tap into whatever your breath is doing. And then I want you to do the movement I'm asking you to do. Mm. I need to teach your body that you can breathe and move at the same time. What was happening with why people weren't getting results, it wasn't the exercises that weren't effective. They weren't breathing while doing the exercises. They were training their nervous system to still be in a sympathetic fight or flight state. Of course, nothing would change. And of course, these exercises would be symptomatic because of how they did them. Yeah. And it was literally time after time after time. And I'm telling you, a conservative thousands amount, <laughs> thousands of sessions, seeing what logically should work is not working for this person. Not because of the exercises are ineffective, but because how they are navigating these exercises with their breath. And with so many people in chronic pain and acute pain, it was like this either, or either I can do the movement or I can breathe. You're not going to get yeah. both. And teaching people that there's an, and you can breathe and move literally the same exercises that were triggering and painful are now therapeutic and causing breakthroughs. This yeah. is what led me to think that, okay, 
there's there's something here. There's something in the breath that needs to be explored. And thousands of sessions later, I've really come to see that the breath is the window to the soul. I mean, it really is. And it, it's like a barometer on what somebody's thinking and feeling and experiencing. And literally in the online program that I have where I teach movement after movement, and I'm sure all of our members are tired of me hearing it, but it's so important. It's just every 10 to 15 seconds, it's remember to breathe, remember yeah. to breathe, relax, breathe, and then move. And I'm teaching them this set by set, relax, breathe, then move. And when they reconnect to their breath and movement, this is where things are changing. And crying might start to happen yeah. or shaking like involuntary spasms in the body might start to happen it is the release of whatever has been stored in their tissue it's it's something that i've tried to go academic on i've tried to understand how breath work changes ph balances in the blood with oxygen and carbon dioxide i've tried to look at the mechanisms of the chemoreceptors and how they're active during certain types of breath work and as much as I try to get academic with it, it's, it's just this natural thing that needs to happen. And the beautiful part about breath work is you don't need to understand all of these really biochemical, physical, physiological responses. You just got to fucking breathe, you know, you just got to do it. Everybody can do it. Um, So it's, it's something that I'm looking forward to deepening my practice in. I'm currently training for an ultra marathon, which I've never been a runner, right? I was a swimmer. That was my main sport of choice. Then I was injured and really haven't done much uh, over the past decade trying to recover my body. And as I'm getting into these ultra runs and I'm doing 10 and 15 and 20 mile runs on a daily, weekly basis, it's all about the breath. It's staying in calm, comfortable control. When I run tight and I'm not having those deep breaths and relaxed breath, the run's terrible. It's a miserable experience where my mind's racing and I'm continually trying to convince myself to quit. And then I remember to just breathe and ease that tension with the breath. And Mm. the entire run completely transforms. So I originally thought the keys to unlocking the body or with biomechanics. It was with movement. It was with exercise and corrective exercise and teaching people how to manually manipulate their body. None of that matters if you can't breathe. Absolutely. It just doesn't. Um, it, 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 it just doesn't. Yeah. And it's, it's an incredible tool. It's an incredible tool. And it is the kind of the owner's manual of having this physical vessel uh, mm-hmm. that I think that should be taught to every, every youth, um, from a, a very, uh, young age, but you know, like when you were speaking about your client who, you know, you'd have them do the movement and they'd be grimacing and, and then, okay, you'd have them breathe first and then do the movement. And it's because like on an evolutionary standpoint, our, uh, we are designed to find new adaptive patterns to survive on this planet and survival is uh, like the baseline. Um, and, and it's, it's baseline and, and survival has everything to do with, do we feel safe or do we not feel safe? And when someone is doing that movement and they do not feel safe, 
it is not really embedding those new neuromuscular pathways. They have to be in that relaxed state to embed those new neural pathways because it's you're, you're retraining your body. And if you don't feel safe, then the body's just going to say, okay, we're going to do this right now, but we're, we don't trust you. We don't, we don't fully trust you. So, uh, this is, this is not what, um, we, we are not going to embed this pattern and, you know, in the breath work, you know, you said you studied like the, the science of it, the physiology of it. You know, I've studied a lot of that too. And I've studied the esoteric aspects of breath work as well. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't think there's an absolute understanding yet. <laughs> there's lots mm. of different modalities with inside of breath work, just as there's so many different modalities within, um, physical movement and body work and, and, and they all, they all are tools and they all have their place. And so, you know, when we talk about breath work specifically, I, I think that you can, you can break up uh, the different types of breath work into two different kind of subcategories. And the subcategories are over breathing and under breathing. <laughs> so the like over that. the over breathing modalities are um, you know, sort of like Wim Hof and holotropics breath work and and the um, you know, taking in a lot of oxygen and the under breathing um, modalities are more like the oxygen advantage, the CO2 tolerance, like Buteco method, um, breathing less and training your body to operate, to actually absorb more oxygen, uh, while breathing less. And I think that these, both of these spectrums, they are absolutely important and they have different, uh, applications for different things. Um, because there's a lot of dogma in this sort of realm and, uh, yeah, there is. and I'm trying, and, and my, uh, I have a very similar, I would say perspective as you do where I'm trying to understand it on a holistic level. And if we look at the breath as the number one way to control our nervous system, um, it is absolutely the number one way to control our nervous system. If you, you know, the under breathing modalities, such as oxygen advantage, such as Buteco, um, such as, uh, you know, CO2 tolerance training, um, those are incredibly powerful for, uh, sports performance, for athletic performance, for, um, a day-to-day, -day, uh, state of, of just normal everyday breathing patterns. I think they're phenomenal. Um, and as far as like, uh, holotropic or somatic release breath work is the modality that I've created and, and coined. And I've, I've, uh, I've, um, kind of sandwiched quite a few modalities within that one. Um, where we are actually taking people, uh, into, we're actually making you breathe pretty fucking hard for yeah. uh, a, an extended period of time. And, and, and within that first 30 minutes, you know, I'm, I'm having people breathe pretty heavily through the mouth, which the mouth is not the best way for someone to breathe. We have a nose mm -hmm. for a reason. Um, we should be, uh, breathing through our nose most of the day. But that being said, you can take people into these deep breathing exercises where they are breathing heavily through the mouth for an extended period of time. 
And what happens on a physiological level is that your body, your physiology is thinking that it is in a state of trauma. You know, when we are, when something terrible happens to it, or if we were attacked by a bear or something like we'd be, <laughs> yeah, we're not nose breathing calmly. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. You know, like we are, we are completely just breathing heavily. So when you are able to cultivate an absolute safe container and then take someone into this heavy breathing, you open up this portal uh, for them. And it's a physiological response that's going on in their body. Their body is literally thinking that they're undergoing a trauma state. Um, what happens is that they have the opportunity to discharge, to release a lot of whatever the necessary function of action that they needed to do during that previous trauma. So we all like, we all walk around in our life and, and undergo different stressful things, or maybe it's, you know, a lot of us aren't necessarily, uh, feeling physical trauma. Like we're not having to fight people. We're not having to like fend for our life. We deal with a lot more emotional trauma, a lot more trauma to the story that we've told ourselves about the world. And, and the, those traumas happen in relationship and they happen in community and they happen from a lot of the times other people. And what happens is that, so when, you know, I talked about it, we have a trauma response and that response for most of us is that we're just going to, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to just, you know, I'm strong. I can hold it. I don't have to show my weakness. I don't have to show push it down. I uh, just push it down. You suppress it. And naturally I'll get into that in a moment, but, but you know, stress, trauma, whatever these things are, they are pressure put on us by another person, by another outside instance, you know, even lifting weights, you know, you could say that is a stressor that's pressure being put on your system. And how do you get rid of pressure? How do you move the pressure out of you? You have to X the pressure or you have to find ways to express some of the most stressed out people in our life have found beautiful ways to express that in and channel that into incredible art, incredible music, incredible movement, like dance, mm. um, businesses that have been able to help lots of people such as yourself. You know, you've had, you were experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of pressure, and you were able to channel that into something that can help tons and tons of people. And if we don't find routes to express ourselves, uh, we end up suppressing. And when we suppress, we become depressed, repressed until we physically start, start to densify that emotion into a physical sort of disease of energy or a, a disease state of our nervous system. So within these overbreathing tech, uh, techniques, you put the body in a tr traumatic state and it allows people to, well, things start to just come up for people because, you know, a lot of the times those things that they've pushed down there, they don't come up in their waking reality. You put someone in that state the memory start to come up, the emotions start to come up, the physical, the physical responses come up and the, the physical or the somatic expression of whatever that they needed to do in the moment 
of whenever that trauma originally happened allows them to physically discharge it. And therefore that defense system is not laying embedded within their nervous system anymore. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense, man. I mean, it, it, it really does, you know, especially seeing how much, uh, tension is built up and again, really bringing the conversation full circle. There aren't many ways in a modern culture to express physical Mm. tension anymore. Yeah. We, we use our bodies to express tension. We we are expression vessels. We, we are, and, and literally without any training, and I've talked about this a couple of times before, but without any acting training, you could go to a group of a hundred people and say, show me what a king or a queen looks like. And they will, the first thing they will do is change their body state and position to express an emotion, right? Yep. So we use our bodies for expression. When we don't use our bodies, where does that expression go? It doesn't just leave. It gets pent up and stored on such an unbelievable cellular tense level that we wonder why we can't move and express ourselves because we're not moving lately. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what's, what's really interesting, which I'd love to talk about is, so there's the suppression, right? Mm -hmm. There's the emotion, there's how we pent up all of this, where my world comes into this is you can see someone who's depressed by the way that they move, by the way that they stand, by the way that they enter a room and carry themselves. It is a body language that's communicated. Our body position changes to express an emotion. When there is so much suppression in movement and emotion, the body state reacts by, let's just say, a depressed posture. And I think everybody listening to this, if everybody right now thinks about what a depressed person might look like, you're probably going to all envision somebody's shoulders rounded, somebody kind of slumping forward, not walking with purpose and ferocity and energy, but just kind of lackadaisically just moving through the world. What I've found is that If the body state can't change, if you can't change a position, like let's say somebody is suppressed for five, 10, 15 years, and their their actual soft tissue adapts to these depression-like type positions, how can you even change the mind and the body when the body is stuck in these depressed positions? So I think where, where my work in an interesting way enters this conversation is how the state and function of people's body actually might be a barrier from allowing them to get a full release. Because if we can't open up the body to create that state change because of muscular tension, dysfunction, and compensatory patterns, then that emotion stays rigidly stuck in there. So my question to you is when you're doing this breath work, when you're, when you're exposing people to this and, and getting this stuff I guess, stir it up so it can get out. Have you found that there is a position that works best? Is everybody in the same position? Have you found that your background with working with posture and alignment, that if you can get the body aligned first, then you can get a deeper response? Or has there not been a correlation with that? Mm. 
Yeah, I, I love where you're going with this. And I will, I've come at it from all, from, from most directions. You know, I, I, I got a, a, sure. a, a life coaching certificate, you know, I was very interested in psychology. I've had quite a few psychologists take my training as well, um, where they are solely working with people, uh, on in talk therapy, and not working with physical position whatsoever and trying to help people, uh, repattern the mind state. And they, and you know, when they, or the, the, the story that they're telling themselves and a lot of them will say, you know, the posture will start to open up after they're able to kind of re, um, uh, repattern that story that they're telling themselves about mm. themselves. And so, and, and I've seen, I I've seen, I would say I've seen the opposite, like as a body worker and as a trainer, when I was working and, and helping people open up their bodies and working with the body first, then I would start to see how they actually carry themselves out in the world and, and how they are, uh, speaking. And, you know, when that body is, and, and I, I believe there's been studies on this, like a person who walks tall and upright is actually secreting, um, more serotonin and they're mm -hmm. actually, and, 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 a, and especially in a male, they're going to secrete more testosterone. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've gone through both, like the body affects the mind and the mind affects the body and it goes both directions and you have to address both of them. But I think even deeper than that is that, where breath work is so powerful, it, it, it is the bridge between those two. It mm. is the bridge between the mind and the body. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I, I have seen that. And, and also it is the bridge because it controls the nervous system. The nervous system is the electrical system of your body. It is controlling your physical movements and your skeletal movements. And also it is controlling the mind state that you're in. You know, if you are in a fear state, your nervous system's in a fear state, the stories that you're making up about yourself and about the world are probably going to skew towards those fear stories. So yeah. I don't know if there's a right answer, but I would say that for me, I have found that, I mean, if, even if we just look at it, like for what it is, our minds, they are incredibly powerful and we can think about, we can just create beautiful things mentally, but we can't wrap our head around fully understanding the functions of the body and all of the things that are going on within our body, like you don't have to think about like moving your fingers and you don't have to think about like digesting your food and all of these different actions that are taking place that are incredibly, incredibly intelligent. Like there is and complex I, I, as hell and, and complex as hell. And I beg to differ that it's like, we just we don't even understand the intel the full intelligence of the body and we can try to wrap our logical mind around it but the mind is a tool and when it's running things it's not a good thing when we are tapped into our body and how our body is feeling um and and moving from that state and then and then going up into the mind and creating stories from that place i think that that's what i've seen 
and and I might've been dancing around your question a little bit, but that's just what I've no, seen it, the most effective. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love that out of the 500 something posts that I have, you shared that particular post this morning, um, about me talking about the more I understood the body academically, the less able I was to change it. And I really thought the answers for how to help myself and how to help other people were going to be found in these biomechanical abnormality textbooks. And the more I learned the science of it, the less I was able to listen to what's actually happening. I tried to mm -hmm. continually override my own experience with my body, not trust myself, trust literature and trust the books without understanding that before the academia, this shit's been around for 2 million years. Our body yeah. has been of just this version, the homo sapien mm -hmm. version has been around for 2 million years. We are just beginning to understand the physiological mechanisms that make it work. But, and I think people think a lot, you know, the more you understand physiology, I'm not discrediting it. It's really powerful information, but there has to be a connection back to our natural state. Yes. The physiology is important. The biochemical signatures of the body, but you don't need to understand that stuff to and feel that, better. That word understand it's all within that word as well, because when we talk about under, like understanding physiology, understanding the body, we think of that word as wrapping our head around it and having a mental, <laughs> a mental understanding of it. But if we are to really understand something, you are able to stand underneath it and you are able to mm. hold it up on a physical level. And understanding is not something that you wrap your mind around. It's something that you are able to embody and hold up on a physical level. And that's where like, I know there's a, a big trend, like the embodiment trend within like the spiritual communities and, and that whole aspect, but it, we can, un, we can understand, <laughs> we can understand so more, so much more just from what is our felt sensation inside of ourself versus learning from a textbook. And it's, it's so important to like read, you know, physiological texts and, and have that sort of, you know, logical understanding as well too. Uh, but most of us are looking for the answer outside of ourselves instead of, you know, the answer is always within as cliche as that, as, as that sounds. You know, I, I made a post about the answer being within um, there was a, there was a 13 year old girl that we were working with who had a very, very severe case of lordosis. And um, they were looking at, at a pretty invasive surgery that was going to alter this girl's life forever. Uh, not being able to bend or turn from 13 and on. And literally after a couple months of working, she went back and had follow-up x-rays. This was her last ditch effort to avoid a very invasive spinal fusion. Mm. The spine curves were near normal. And the doctor looked at her and said, what did you do? I've never seen this. And she's like, I didn't need any brace. I didn't need any expert. I just found the answer within. And that made no sense to the doctor. He didn't understand it, right? He needed like an actual answer to that. And I posted about that. And it was, it was a weird thing for me to talk about the answers are within because um, maybe you and I had similar child childhoods, but, you know, I'll speak to, to mine. Um, you know, my father 
was, uh, you know, a very stereotypical uh, Italian guy born in the Bronx in the 1940s. Um, he was a very authoritative parent, right? It was never, well, Vinny, how do you feel about things? And what's your heart telling you and what feels right to you? It was, no, don't do this, do this. It's my way or the highway kind of a thing. And at a young age, I learned to have external sources govern me. Mm -hmm. And I never really understood. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was up until the age of 28 years old that I didn't understand that I actually had answers myself. And How old are you now, brother? Uh, 33. Okay. So literally it was a, it was a therapist asking me what my boundaries were. And I'm like, boundaries? Everybody else told me what my boundaries should be, told me what I should do and shouldn't do. I never self-created boundaries and uh, safe relationships. That was something that I relied on my parents to do. And that sounds so weird saying that at 28, but when you're in that environment, literally as a kid, always relying on everybody else to tell you what to do and actually being made to second guess how you feel and think about everything. The answers are within sounds like fairy tale stuff. Yeah. But yeah. when you actually get to a place of seeing why that might be fairy tale, why it might be cliche and the quote unquote foo-foo stuff, you realize that you never really actually learn to govern yourself internally. And you never really learn to understand that you know the answer to things. You know what you need to do. You're the expert in the situation. You need to trust yourself again. And that is where the answers can be found. It's, it's, it's a link of trust. So I love yeah. what you said about understanding because I have, I have incredibly brilliant, sharp minds of members in these programs, PhDs and doctorates in these fields. And they're trying to understand the science behind it. And I'm trying to say, how does this position make you feel? Mm. <laughs> what do you think about this? Yeah. And the emails like, okay, Vinny, what should I do next? Well, what do you think you should do next? Yeah. Well, Vinny, I don't know. You're the expert. You tell me I'm paying you this money. It's like, no. I'm going to help you understand that you actually know what you're doing. You just have to get back to a place of trusting yourself. So there's this place of, of thinking that we need to have the books tell us what to do. We need to have somebody see us to tell us what to do. And then there's the, I'm not listening to myself. I need to actually go within. I need to do breath work. I need to listen. How do these exercises and movements make me feel? And, and that is just that's the lifelong mastery of what I teach is how to go from all these external sources governing you to understanding yourself, actually mm -hmm. getting back into your nervous system and trusting everything it's telling you. It's all there for you. It's just a matter yeah. of, can we actually believe that we can do it? And do we think we're capable enough to heal ourselves? Mm. I mean, we are healing ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis. You're repairing yourself every day. No one, you know, even the, the, the concept of a healer, uh, I, I cringe at the term. I hate the, I, I hate I, the sound I, healer. I, I cringe at the term, but it is the truth that everyone is a healer and no one is healing another person. Everyone mm -hmm. is just healing themselves. If you go to a doctor and you have a cut on your arm, he's going to stitch it up. 
he's not going to heal you. He's going to put you in position for you to heal yourself. And that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're assisting somebody and, and putting them in positions for them to, to really feel into what, how to heal themselves. And just what you said, you know, as far as when you were talking about the, the, the girl who had to go undergo the surgery and they said that it doesn't make sense. And even when we think about using that term, making sense, it, we, we think of that, okay, it doesn't make sense to our mind, but to make sense, sense is a, is a sensory feeling. Mm -hmm. It is a, it, it's not a mental thing. It's a sensory feeling. And somatic somatic just means of the body in regard it's it, it means to be able to fully sense and fully feel something sensation is our birthright and i just had a conversation with a brother around this but to be able to feel to be able to sense things to be able to move and and have sensation and sensory awareness through our life, that is our, our birthright. And we have numbed ourselves and we have become numb uh, from feeling something to the fullest uh, spectrum in our life. And the, even the concept of sensitivity is looked at as weakness, but set, to become sensitive is to become more alive. It's to become more to become full of sensation and full, full of sensory awareness. Uh, and that is a, that is a, a, a byproduct of how in touch we are not with our mind, but in our body and how we're moving throughout the world. I love what you just said for the very specific reason of, of numb. Um, every single before and after photo. And, and I, I think I just have around 500 or so on, on my social page. Um, I've got a uh, folder on my computer of thousands of them that will never see the light of day. Cause this is obviously a personal experience. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people want to show themselves unposed, especially when you're yeah. very vulnerable and you just don't have a great relationship with yourself yet. So a lot of these photos will never see the light of day, but what I can say the common denominator between every single one of these photos is in the before photo where people are standing shifted and out of place and imbalanced and really deviated. They don't feel that. They think they're standing straight. Mm -hmm. And when they see photos of themselves, there's always this aha moment of, oh my God, is that, is that me? Is that happening? And it comes from a place of not feeling anymore. It comes from a place of, uh, I don't know if it's escapism, if it's numbing, if it's just not wanting to feel things, but we condition ourselves over time to just get further and further out of our body until the only way that your body can communicate with you is serious levels of pain. Pain's a signal that you're not feeling things. I mean, it really yeah. truly is. So yeah. the, like I said, the common denominator is that in all the before photos, maybe some of them felt a little imbalanced. They definitely felt pain, but when you show somebody their body of what it's really doing, there's always this, oh my gosh, is that me kind of a feeling? And 
when I give people these exercises, when I give people these movements and these therapies and techniques that I've really developed over the past decade, the number one challenge is consistency. And I don't think it's a discipline problem. I think it's because these exercises make you feel shit and they force you to pause your day, get off of Facebook, stop scrolling on Instagram, turn off YouTube and Netflix, take a couple breaths and get back into your body. And that shit is painful for a lot of people. So we brush it off. Like I've got a problem being inconsistent or I didn't do my stuff and I'm not really into the program. I think it's the avoiding the self that makes this work actually so hard because again, the common denominator is the numbing. It's the escapism. Mm -hmm. It's the avoidance of sensation. And what you said with the birthright, I think what puts our body in these very uh, tumultuous states of, of decay and degeneration, yes, it's culture and modern technology. And it's a fact we're not moving enough. And it's also the escape from our body. We don't like feeling shit. We, we absolutely don't. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much to unpack there and I could continue, <laughs> uh, continue jamming out with you, brother. I definitely want to respect your time. Uh, but, and, and it's important to understand that, you know, a lot of these postural deviations and things that, you know, even within my own spine, I believe that the body, if you tune into the body intelligence, it does everything for a reason. Yes. It does everything. everything. For, every, everything it does is for, uh, is an intelligent design. So if you have, you know, it's always striving for equilibrium. And if you are, you know, not, not only are our patterns are, you know, you are what you repeatedly do who you're repeatedly around and our culture and society is not set up in a way, um, for health in general. So we're going to experience that and the body's going to try to cope with it as much as possible. And it's, and the intelligence of it is going to do the best that it can. And when we are, when something is coming up and something is painful and there is an intelligent response this trauma response, this stress response to keep us from feeling it to a certain extent when something, you know, when people are in incredible pain, mm. uh, you will dissociate a little bit. You will not be, and, and that's an intelligent response because your system does not want you to feel it fully at that moment. But that defense system that helped you during that moment it doesn't just go away. It continues to stay with you. And after weeks, after months, after years of having that numbed, numbing defense system active, we become, we become dead inside. We, be, yeah. we, be, we become not, not full of sense or full of, and not, not being full of sense is not being alive. And so the thing that helped you in the moment to cope becomes the thing that eventually will cause issues. And so like when you are doing, and the only way to go back into it is actually to let it, let yourself fully feel it. And there's so many different modalities that allow you to do that, such as what you are doing with people taking them through these movements and having them to actually 
feel the full sensation of what's going on in their body, not just trying to force the movement. You're actually trying to get them to occupy their body. What is the mm -hmm. felt sensation that's going on? And, and what is it, what is it saying and, and feeling it fully? I don't know. I was getting off on a tangent there. No, that's a, a that it's, it's spot on. And, and I would imagine that on, I think where the change comes and this has got to be from all of the people that you work with and all the people that I work with. Yes. Breath works effective. And yes, these movements are effective. I, I think the real change is just that voluntary, like going to your breathwork class, whether there's a huge change or not, it's like the choice of voluntarily putting yourself back into sensation. That's where I think the biggest change is for a lot of people at the start is, is finally saying yes to getting back in touch. It's painful. It's hard. It's really fucking uncomfortable depending on how numb we become, but it's, yeah. it's the saying yes to that that I think that's, that's where probably the biggest change actually starts to come from. Um, but, but you're, you're so right to the, the coping mechanisms, you know, the things that we learned as kids um, become very maladaptive if left unchecked and what might've helped us survive a traumatic experience. Like when I broke my back, what helped me survive was my left hip, not moving. If it moved, I would have just herniated even further. Great. Wonderful. Thank you. Left hip for helping protect me. Yeah. But it became very maladaptive, very quick when things literally after the herniations healed, it still was maladaptively tight. I never learned to let that go. And the coping mechanisms with the body, if people can understand that your body just doesn't wake up and say, let's just randomly make this spot tight. Oh, I think my headphones just went out. Can you still hear me? I can still hear you brother. Yes. Let me switch this real quick. Um, oh, good. You know, if, if people can understand that, you know, the body just doesn't wake up one day and just says, let's just have problems. It's always a reaction and protection mechanism. I think we can start to see that the reaction isn't the problem. Your body's doing what it is ingeniously and brilliantly designed to do, which is to protect and keep you alive. It's just a matter of, can we look at what is instigating this protection mechanism and why? Mm. Couldn't have said it any better. And, and I'm, I, I don't want to say this, you know, this could come off, I don't know, mean or off to some people, but you know, I am, I am thankful that you under underwent that pain and you, and Me you too. did, and you broke your back because it made you the person that you are today. And it made you create the thing that you've created that have helped thousands of other people. And that's the thing that I, I start to notice that is that, you know, on an evolutionary level, we are designed to find new adaptive patterns to survive. And that's on an individual level. But once we figure that out on an individual level, we are tribal beings, meaning that we, uh, we, want to feel like we're bringing something to the table for our community. We want to feel like we're bringing something to the table for our, the world that's with inside of us. We are tribal beings. And a lot of the times, the things that we can bring to the table, uh, where we find our greatest purpose, where we find our passions have to do with the shit that we've gone through 
and we've felt it fully. We've, we've learned from it and we've learned that new adaptive pattern. And now we can go out and share it with our community. You know, I, I, it's, it's such a sensitive message because it really depends on, on where the person's at in their own journey. Mm -hmm. But when somebody reaches out and says this traumatic thing happened in the back of my mind, I'm like, fuck yes. I wonder yeah, what absolutely. this is for you. Now, absolutely. when I was at the start, if somebody was like, Hey, great job breaking your back. I would have been really like, this just took everything from me. Yeah. I'm for sure not coming back here again, but everything, everything good in my life has come from me destroying my back in a surfing accident, every single mm -hmm. thing. So it's, um, pain, pain really brings us to a new level of understanding. It's just a matter of how quickly can we get people to understand that and live into that, lean into that a little bit. And you'll find that the transformation only takes place when you see that it was actually the best thing that happened to you. Yeah. Pain, symptoms, all of those things, they are your best friend and your biggest teacher. And if we could start to adapt that uh, mentality as a culture, I think that we would do a lot better and we would learn from it. Because if you don't learn from the pain, I think we're going through this culturally and as a society as well, there's a lot of painful things going on. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, if you don't learn from it, then it's just going to speak louder and in different areas until you actually fully address it and you take responsibility of it, learn from it. And then, you know, that's a lot of the times where we do find our, our biggest purpose. And I can agree with you 100%. You know, a lot of people come to me with terrible things that they've gone through and I can be empathetic and I can, and I can feel with them that I can't, I can't imagine what you're feeling right now, but at the same time, I don't know what that's actually going to do for this person. I don't know what type of catalyst that this is going to be for their own growth, their own evolution and who they become and how many people they actually help outside of that. You know, I, uh, the name pain Academy has been a blessing and a curse for a really long time. I can imagine. I can imagine because people, I mean, it, it, it's really, I love how you split up breath work into two categories. There's over breathing and under breathing. I, I think when it comes to pain, there's people who want to understand it to resolve it. And then there's people who just want somebody else to take it away from them. And when it comes to pain Academy, I teach them what that pain means and why it's there and how to get rid of it. But for the people that don't want to learn about pain and how it's actually served them and protected them and what they need to do to actually resolve it. And they want to just offshore that work to somebody else. They're going to be in pain for probably a really, really, really long time. So it all depends on, can you lean into it and can you learn from it? I think that's the only way to actually get through it. Pains, trauma, stressors, all of these quote unquote negative things that we've gone through are our biggest teachers. And until we realize that we will continue to be stuck. So. And I know it might not feel like that in the moment, right? When you're flared up and <laughs> you can't not, do a damn thing, not. you're not, you're not praising uh, God that this was great. Mm-hmm but it's bringing you to a level of self-care that you did not have before, which is why it's there. Yeah. And then understanding that the body, uh, it takes time to change. You know, the body is 
that of nature. It is a biological system. If you look at a tree, if you look at, you know, I have plants in my room, if you look at them, it, they take time to change. And the thing about our mind is we can change it at the drop of a pin. So continuing to choose mentally how I want to show up. I want to understand this. I want to listen to my body. And then over time, that repetitive choosing of the mind will start to create the physical change, but it takes time. It takes time. And, and what I've learned really crystally, uh, crystal and painfully clear is that your ability to get better is really your relationship with your patients. And mm. especially when you see all over YouTube and Instagram, fix your back pain in five minutes, yeah, 20 years of, yeah, yeah. Fix your shit. And 20 years of uh, pain gone in one adjustment, man, it, it's setting the stage culturally to condition us to not give ourselves time. And we end up spending a significantly longer amount of time fumbling around from thing to thing. When, if we just would have stuck with, this thing, it would have worked brilliantly. So it's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's really easy to say it takes time. I think for guys like you and I who have put in the time that makes perfect sense. Um, but again, it's like going back to the escapism. People just want to escape it. They don't want to feel it anymore. So it's really your relationship to that patience that ultimately I truly believe determines your ability to change long-term or not. Mm. I could keep going with you for a while, brother. You know, this is our first interview and I, I really would love to have you on again. Um, it was absolutely a pleasure just picking your brain and just having conversation with you. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a good place to leave off right now. Um, yeah. you know what we need to do? We need to have a fusion of, I show up for one of your classes, you show up for one of mine and we literally just co-mingle. Let me change these people's positions. You go do breath work. And then yeah. same thing in my class. I want you to rock everyone's world with breath work and let's see what happens. Dude, absolutely. And this is, I forgot to go over this, but when you asked me that question, you know, about um, if I notice like people's position inside of breath work or, you know, is, is the, the, the physical changing um, the mental or is the mental changing the physical. When I first started this breath work, I would, I was a body worker and I was a neuromuscular therapist and I was working with aligning people's physical bodies. I started doing this breath work. I would make people do the breath work sessions first, just like you were saying, you would mm. have people breathe first. I would make people do the breath work sessions first to clear out a lot of the emotional, nervous system defense systems that are laying dormant within their system first. And then I had such an easier time working with their actual physical body after that. I would imagine. I would so imagine. I, I think that they, they can go hand in hand and you're in Colorado. Uh, that's where I was born. I'm out in uh, LA right now. You're in LA. Okay. I will probably be heading out there soon. I'm in Austin a lot. I'm in uh, Southern California quite often as well. Awesome. We'll, We'll stay in touch. Is there anything, you know, shameless promotion? Is there anything that you, uh, uh, if people want to work with you, any projects coming up, anything that they can learn more about you and your work, Vinny? Yeah. So I've got a online program that is 52 weeks long. It's not your let's change things in four weeks thing. This is a I very deep program. It's not fast um, food information. 
It is not fast food information. It's information that will serve you the rest of your life. So it's this really great 52-week program that everybody goes through, but no two people go through it the same way. It will customly and dynamically respond to what your body needs and what helps you move and feel better. I obviously I'm biased because I've done it and I've seen thousands of people do it. It works really well. I think it works really well. And I think more thousands of more people should do it. So if you need help, if you want to understand functional morphology and how to move and feel better, you got to check it out. Absolutely. I'll have all of his links in the show notes. Absolutely an honor having you on. And I can't wait to have you on again. And I can't wait to experience your work as well, brother. Wonderful. Likewise. So great, man. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Peace, everyone.